sometimes that principle from Jesus about being salt and light in the world can seem abstract. I want to try to give you a concrete example about how we can be that in this coming year on this week's Corey Truax Show. A lot of what I do during the week on those long commutes is take in a lot of content. I do my Bible reading, I take in my sermon a day, and then I take in a lot of content from the world around me because I think that helps me be a better a better leader in my own house, a better uh, better commentator to you, a, a better interpreter and counselor to, to friends in my church and those at work because I know a lot of what's happening, not around the world when it comes to current events, but the ideas that are out there. And what often happens on this show is the things that I hear, I just feel like I need to share with you. And so that is in large part what I want to do today from an interview with one of my favorite writers, and we'll get to that here in just a second. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts. I'm glad you're here. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Threads. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. I'm getting a little bit more active on Twitter, so you can find content there from me. I should also mention I am the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church here in the new year is starting back into the Joshua series, and I'd love to have you out. We'd love to have you on any given Sunday morning at 1030. We're in Greenville. Just Google us. There's two Beachwood churches, one in Michigan, one here. Don't go to the one in Michigan. Unless you're in Michigan, they might be solid. But if you're around here, come on down to Beachwood Church. Speaking of me taking in content, if you are given to listening to sermons, let me recommend the sermon from this Sunday at Beachwood to start your year. That was, A, good. Two, you know it's good when it comes up in your household on Tuesday night. Like, we, we had some conversation about that on Tuesday night. Just the idea of Joshua as he's walking around the city of Jericho and encounters this Old Testament, they, they often called the, uh, the, uh, Theophanies, the, maybe a pre-incarnate Jesus, that this Joshua, not not knowing yet specifically what to do, was just engaged on with what he could do, and there were some good principles for the new year for us. Uh, so anyway, it's out there. I'm talking about content I come across. Uh, I think Spotify is probably the best place to go look for that sermon from Beachwood this past week. All right, uh, I didn't mean to say that. Now I've taken two like a minute for let's a minute for that. Let's do this. Uh, David Brooks is one of my favorite writers. I don't know if he's a believer or not. He grew up Jewish religiously Jewish in New York City, then fell away from that. He's now in his late 50s, early 60s, and he has come to a a public profession of faith, but it is muddled, and it's confusing, and he's confused. I don't, I mean, we're talking about one of the highest educated, one of the better writers. He's been a New York Times editorial writer for a long time. He was thought of as their more conservative voice, but I wouldn't even put him as now, he's not nearly as conservative as I am, for example, but I always thought he was thoughtful, thought he was an interesting thinker. And now that he's come to this late-in-life conversion, he's even more interesting to me because he's figuring stuff out. I think he's on the right trajectory, and there, uh, and in those things, in spiritual growth, you'll have people on the right trajectory, and then they veer to the right or to the left. I don't mean politically. Or they will take two steps forward, one step back. And that's me, a 37-year-old, talking about a 60-year-old like he's a child, or, and, but in spiritual ways, he, he sort of is. He's growing up. Uh, and recently, David Brooks has a new book out. He was out promoting it. And uh, he has one of those hearts that I do for uh, better communication. 
I don't pretend that we live in the world of the 60s and 70s. It is fundamentally different. But part of what's made it fundamentally different is our inability to listen to each other, hear each other, communicate well. I mean, that, that doesn't, for my people who listen to me who are, who are, a, who are like a previous version of me where, it's, where my attitude would be, yeah, well, if they're wrong, they're wrong. How are you going to say it? you got to say it. People need to know that they're wrong, and here's how the right way to be is. Yeah, uh, I got you. There's effective ways to do that. And he's written a book about that. How can we effectively talk to each other, hear each other, see each other? I don't, I don't want to play a huge chunk of this interview for you, but I think there's just a lot of wisdom here. I want to start and stop along the way. I think the verse, yeah, that I, I think I cued it up that the first thing you will hear is the interviewer. This is a podcast I listen to regularly called Open to Debate. Usually they do formal Oxford-style debates, but they did an interview with David Brooks. So let's listen, and I will comment as we go. This is David Brooks, author of the new book, The Art of Seeing and Hearing Others. We, you know, we were doing some research um, and came across um, a statement by the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murphy, that at any given moment, one out of every two Americans is experiencing measurable levels of loneliness. And in your book, you came across... Real quick, this is the interviewer, John Donvan, another interesting guy. I've talked about the epidemic of loneliness. This is a real problem in the world, something we have a solution to. I opened by saying, you know, salt and light, what's some of the things we can do? Well, one of the abstract, uh, sorry, one of the concrete things is looking for loneliness, looking for those who are disconnected and being a connective tissue for them. It's very real. In this very online world, in this very broken world, broken family world, I meant to say, people are lonely. Now, here is one of the ways, we're about to hear this quote, here's one of the ways people have sought out community and it's not gone well. Something that I had to read twice because I thought it can't be correct. Um, it's, I'm going to quote it, lonely people are seven times more likely than non-lonely people to say they are active in politics. And I was thinking that felt very counterintuitive, that if you're active and you're an extrovert and uh, you're an activist, that you would not be lonely. So what's going on with that? That's an interesting stat and not at all surprising, isn't it? If you are involved with your family, you're taking care of your household, you have less time to be an online Twitter activist and doing political things. If you're with your church or your community you have less time to do the political madness. Lonely people are looking for something and they're going to find, they're going to a, a toxic place, they're going to American politics to try to find some connection. And Brooks has some thoughts on that. Statement about, not about lonely people going into being active in politics. Yeah, politics has become for a lot of people a social therapy. So they're lonely, they're isolated. Uh, and they go to politics because it seems like community. I'm on team red or I'm on, or I'm on team blue. And politics seems to give you sort of a, a moral action, a way to contribute to the world and be, make yourself presence in the world. Are you hearing all the things that people need? I need a team. I need a community. So I'm from a, a broken home. I don't have a team here in my house. I'm not involved in my church, so I don't have any, because local church is kind of falling apart as one of the options for this. There's no more Lions Clubs and Rotary Clubs. The online world isn't satisfying me. It's just politics. I, I got to go find a community and then moral purpose. Whereas 
what the Lord has done good, I'll, I'll use me as the example because I know me best. I find so much purpose and satisfaction in my roles, husband, father figure, church elder, college administrator, home manager. These are the things that I'm doing, and I'm doing them in relationship to others, and it even brings moral satisfaction. It feels like I'm doing the right thing, making a difference, making an impact that will outlast me. And people want that. We want to feel like we've made impact that will be around when we go. And we're not doing that in our families and our churches. People are looking for it in a place they will not get it. Politics doesn't make lasting differences for the most part. That's what people are looking for. Back to David Brooks. By being indignant at the right people. But all those illusions, those are all illusions. Because politics doesn't really give you community. You're not like sitting with a widow or hanging out with friends. You're just hating the same people together. And politics doesn't really give you a moral landscape. And in real life, morality is not like us innocent people over here and those guilty people over there. Morality is something, as Solzhenitsyn said, that good and evil run down the heart of every individual human. And politics doesn't really give you social action. Well, before we go to the third one, the first two, it, it really doesn't give you community. Why? Because politics only gives you an identity of negation. We only know who we hate together. Hey, listen, Christian, this is something to be careful of because I see it. I see it in Christian media. And some of the people that I'm, I've become very wary of, a lot of what they're defined by is their negation. They know who they don't like, and they're very comfortable saying nasty things about them. Careful if that's the media you traffic in, that you've picked up. There's community here. And what's our community, at least in part about? Our community is we know who the enemy is and we want to destroy them. I'm sure there's some environment where that can be healthy. Uh, but that, that can't be the first thing that, that unifies a people. That's a people that will fracture and fall apart if it's based primarily on what it doesn't like and who they hate. The second one was morality. Of course, politics doesn't give you a morality. It, you end up ju- the end justifying the means as a major theme in our politics. So there's nothing solid to hold on to. People want a community. They want a morality. They're going to politics for it. And what do we have that could do it instead? We actually have the Christian story. That's something we can offer to them. I forgot about this third one he was going to talk about, but here we go. You're not feeding the hungry. You're not helping the homeless. You're just getting indignant at other people. And so it, it's a, an unsuccessful way to cure loneliness. And it, takes, it makes you feel maybe a little less lonely, but it just enters you in the culture war into a war of all against all. And so to me, one of the tragedies of American life right now is that everything is politicized. Like late- This is a great soliloquy he's about to have, so let me stop him for a second there. The, that, that idea here, you're, I'm, I've, I've almost gotten, I've stopped being surprised, I guess, but I used to be very surprised what seemed like people being quite satisfied with their work in life by, by just expressing displeasure at someone else, by expressing the opinion that these are the people and the ideas I dislike, I now feel like I have done a thing. I feel moral superiority. I feel good about myself because I've said out loud, I don't like this. I found that to be from secular people. I found it from, from Christians as well. That's not an actual action. There's not an actual thing happening here. It's just you declaring a particular opinion. But now, final thing here. Very important. So people are looking for community, 
morality. They're looking to actually make a difference. They go to politics for it. Politics can't give them those things. We actually have an answer. We have something bigger that can offer all of those. But then here's, man, this is big, and I've been talking about it for years. Religion, faith, is not one of the things about us. It's the, the, the animating force of everything. And so if people that need to be going to faith, to Jesus for community, for morality, for action that makes a difference, the thing they go to instead, politics, will start to animate every part of their life, and that's what Brooks covers next. My comedy is politicized. Sports become politicized. The universities have become politicized. Uh, and so politics is sort of overrunning our society, and, and in my view, our society is over-politicized and, and under-moralized. We spend too much time on political viciousness and not enough time on, like, how do we be considerate to each other? Uh, how do we, you know... And there goes an, uh, an advertisement I couldn't avoid, and that was really the end of his answer. I just want to give you that as, as two things. One is the salt and light point. There are people here in 2024 who are about to get caught up in politics. Their community, their morality, and their feeling of accomplishment, that they're going to be tempted hard to find it on a ballot, to find it in a campaign. And listen, there are a lot of people who are brothers and sisters who will try to get you to do the same thing because they're there. They are uh, they're at war. This and you know, for them, this election outcome, it is a, it is everything. I'm just asking you to stay away from it. It, it oh it, yes, it matters. It matters that a, a government and the people honor the Lord. Uh, but something something's going to happen on November fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever it is, and you should play your part, and the Lord will be sovereign sovereign over it. The outcome will be for a judgment or a blessing or both on a people. And you don't, I, I want this for both the people around you, that you, you're salt and light, that you're not, that you can offer people something better for their morality, for their feeling of impact, for their feeling of community, but also for you. I don't know all my, obviously don't know all my listeners. I do know some of you. I think I know the type of person. I don't want you living there for the, for a year. Like we're going to have to be healthy if we're going to be able to help others. We can't be freaked out about politics if we're actually going to help anybody else not be freaked out or finding their meaning and their morality and their connection and their impact in the political world. I think I'm, I think I'm going to order that, probably the audiobook, and if I find some things in there worth sharing, I will. That's something we all need to be better at. Seeing others and hearing others. I mean, even people you disagree with. That's the thing I've tried to do on the show in the past. Uh, let me, for example, we need to be able to have the maturity to recognize why a person would think a given thing that's had a different experience. Uh, a person who came up in a single-parent home in poverty is going to have, deep in their gut, a different thinking than I do about, I don't know, poverty mitigation and how those efforts work. And yes, I, I don't mind saying, there is an absolute moral standard and biblical standard. 
But the person who's confused and doesn't hold the biblical moral standard because of life experience, I got to have some patience for them, right? And don't set them up as just the enemy to destroy. And I feel like I've just seen that too much with very even highly astute theological people. They're there. They have been wrapped up in this culture that says, this lie, the next election is the most important thing that's ever going to happen. No, it's not. But they're up in it. They're wrapped up in it. And so they're willing to be uh, to use war language, to be on a war footing. And I'm just telling you, I don't think it's helpful. I, w- I want it for you, being salt and light for those who are lonely and are about to get tempted by politics. Offer them something. But first, you be healthy. Don't become that person. I want to connect that to my second topic here. The This world of uh, this intersection that this show has been about for almost... I don't know, 10 years or something like that now. It's close to that. Is The intersection's often been about public policy, politics, and biblical thinking. We have been trying to apply biblical thinking to the modern world a lot over the last couple of years, especially on this show. And I know that's been hard. Some of those things are weird. We talk about often the, uh, the damages, so, like an exodus. I think it's an exodus. Someone accidentally starts a fire or maybe starts a fire on purpose and then accidentally burns their neighbor's field or damages their property. And then we have to use wisdom on how to put those kinds of principles into the modern world. Well, I do suspect if you are living in a suburb or a subdivision, it's probably not the case that someone has started a fire that has damaged your property or torn into your field, but maybe the analog to that has happened to you in the modern day and that someone's negligence, whether in a car accident or you getting hurt at work, that has damaged you in some way. And I know that those things, getting hurt at work, car accidents, they are serious. Medical bills pile up. You're trying to navigate the process of getting justice while you're maybe even losing wages. I don't want you to get intimidated by that process. I, I want you to know there are people out there to help you get justice and make it uh, to, and make it right. Uh, one of the person I want to introduce you to in that realm is Samuel Harms. You can Google him. That's what I do. His name is Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S, as in stay out of harm's way. His number is 864-666-6666. Samuel Harms, attorney at law. For real, don't try to do these things on your own. Get some help from someone who who knows what happens next. You can reach out to him, Samuel Harms, here in Greenville. That's 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. His number is 666-6666. If you've had some kind of damage because of someone else's negligence in the modern day, maybe not a burnt field, but instead a car accident or getting hurt at work, give Samuel Harms a call, 864-666-6666. Probably only one more thing for you. It's uh, we're beginning a, we're beginning an election year, and so it's it's heavy on my feed, and this connects to what we just said. Uh, want us to be the people, not defined by our politics. It's part of life. It's important, and so this is now me giving you some counsel. There are commentators that have certain ethos. I think it's best to stay away from. And I want to give you some of those, uh, some of those tips. I just if you're listening to a certain person, especially if you feel your heart rate start to get up, you feel your uh, your panic start to set in. These are people to stay away from. Now, some of you could uh, hear some of this language, and you have a lot of maturity. You got a lot of wisdom, and you don't freak out. All right, then you know, stick out there if you want to. Um, but I'm seeing the temperature raise too high. 
by people. And so I want to give you some keywords. If you hear some keywords, ask yourself, uh, is this person being overly hysterical? Are they causing me to, are pushing me to panic? Uh, and, and so if they're giving me a spirit of fear and panic, should I maybe back off of that person? I'm not going to give any names, but I'm going to read some examples. These examples come from people that are brilliant theologically, but I'm not even going to be, uh, I'm not going to pull a punch here. I think they're bad at talking about politics. They're not even neutral. They're bad at it. They are, they sound hysterical. They sound crazy. They sound nutty. And I want you to beware of those. I'll give you one name because I don't think he's part of my circles. Like Steve Dace is a political commentator. Now he calls himself a Christian. He seems to have a genuine faith uh, statement, but he's nutty and he's panic inducing and just just wants to light your hair on fire. I say stay away from people like that. Stay away from Steve Dace. It's poisonous. It doesn't lead to any kind of good, uh, any kind of even keel understanding of the world. It'll send you down conspiracy theory panic about what's really happening behind the scenes. It's not helpful. I'll give you two more examples, but no names on these. For example, uh, a commentator said, my prediction for 2024, the world and the U.S. in particular, particular will be more changed and altered by this day in 2025 than any time period in the past. A little vague, but okay, saying 2024 is going to be Fundamentally big change year, okay? Uh, he says not, that's not prophecy. It's just observation of time, season, trends, and the reality that this nation cannot endure daily the purposeful treason of its leaders. I've talked about this language recently. The people that use terms like, so here's some keywords. When they say treason or tyranny or regime, I am telling you I think those people are being hysterical. And they're going overboard, and they're probably not—they're probably not giving you the most wisdom. Just for example, on uh, treason—that's a word with a very specific meaning. It has a lot of weight to it. So you have to go ahead and assume the person you're, whoever you're uh, accusing of treason, they're not stupid. They're not like immoral or have a bad worldview. They know exactly what they're doing. They hate their country, their countrymen and are trying to ruin life in the country where they live. Boy, that's a whole lot of wisdom and knowledge you've assumed for yourself. You know that about them. Okay. Now, for most of human history, we can see people making the same governmental decisions and say, that person is dumb or has a very bad unbiblical worldview. They've had some experiences that have led them to bad conclusions, and now they're making bad policy of their bad conclusions. That's that's what's happening here. And wouldn't it be great if they'd fix their philosophy and fix their worldview? And wouldn't it be great if we had more Christian people that understood Christian things and would vote for Christian leaders? Wouldn't that be awesome? No, they're committing treason. I know that's in their heart. All right, I don't think you've got good political commentary to offer. And I am, there's other keywords. Like, you live under a tyrannical regime. Okay, all right. I've already made the joke. Yeah, you live under a tyrannical regime as you do your podcast and speak freely over the internet. Gotcha. Cool. Maybe you should go somewhere that actually has tyranny and, and, and operates under regimes and come on back and see if uh, you feel the same way. That guy also said in... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll finish that one. That was his prediction for the new year that we can't uh, can't live under this treason. Now, I'm not, I'm not defending anything you're living under, by the way. I'm, I'm talking about commentary and the temperature the commentary sets. 
I think in most of the governments you live in, I'm not talking about just the federal one. I am talking about the federal one. But most of your governments are run by people that are narcissistic, have unbiblical worldviews, are selfish, self-aggrandizing, prideful. That's the kind of people who lead. The people who seek to lead are often the people who shouldn't be leading, and we are led by people who love the attention, and they do things to get attention. Yeah, you've got bad leadership all over the place. But there's a line here uh, where you you have bad leaders and unbiblical leaders and anti and anti godly or ungodly leaders, sure. And then you cross a line to, and they're treasonous. Oh, oh okay. You've you you made a claim here. <laughs> you don't have a lot of evidence for it. You just made a claim. This is a this is not a, a Bible quote, but just a piece of wisdom in life generally. Do not attribute. To malice, what you could, what you can contribute to is stupidity or ignorance. What's a better word? Ignorance. In your own marriage or in your in a friendship and a church relationship, if you contribute to malice, what you could contribute to ignorance, then you are on purpose not giving the benefit of the doubt. You could be causing strife you don't need to cause. You're making the assumption of someone that their intentions are bad. That's not going to go well for you. I tell you, that's one of the, my biggest pet peeves. I make a lot of mistakes, guys. I made a lot of mistakes in my adult years. And in work or in personal relationships, if someone comes to me and makes the assumption I was trying to do the wrong thing, that conversation starts bad and only gets worse. The people who have the wisdom to come and say, I know you were trying to do. I know that you're good intentioned, but here's how it actually went. You're going you're gonna to get a lot of uh, a contrite spirit from me because I was trying to do my best, and I'm often just ignorant, and I just stupidly did the wrong thing. And I don't want to do the wrong thing. That, that kind of language I think is unhelpful. And I think those are people that when they start talking about politics, avoid them. They just lead to panic and bad, bad outcomes. Uh, similar post. Someone says, the U.S. has fallen. It has been judged. No nation promoting this kind of self-deception, talking about transgenderism, and utter insanity can do more than take a few more steps before falling over and collapsing. All right, so the U.S. has fallen. That's very evocative language. Now, the U.S. has fallen. I wonder how I can measure that. We're fair. We're stable. We have our major problems. Despite, I mean, despite all the bad things going on, consider that we got millions of people pouring in through the southern border. Consider the inflation, the inflation situation, the interest rates. In the history of the world, we're still unbelievably stable in comparison. Man, that's that doesn't doesn't seem fallen. Now, the second sentence he said there was, "We've been judged." Now, I, I've said that here. Yeah, I think we're under judgment. But how do I even now evaluate this person who says a nation that falls into this self-deception of transgenderism can only take a few more steps before falling over and collapsing? What does that even mean? Do we I mean do we collapse into anarchy? Is it a coup of some sort? And what are a few steps? Because I can tell you over in Europe, they started doing this crazy transgender stuff in 2010 and 11. So they're now in, whatever that is, I mean, over well over 10 years. Are those a few steps? Is a few steps 50 years? Is it 100 years? Or is this kind of talk just vague, panic-inducing, anger-inducing nonsense? It's totally unhelpful. 
Those things. You under, you're under tyranny. Your country has fallen. You are not a helpful commentator. In particular, those that lead, and you're supposed to think of yourself as shepherds, yeah, we want to give real warnings from wolves. We want to give real warnings when there's a fire over in the that's coming for our sheep. We want to give good warnings. But if our if we if we're uh, we see smoke but we're not sure there's fire, maybe we don't run them towards a cliff as fast as we can and freak them all out all the time. And it's, then the ones that are starting to get on my nerves the most are the ones that tell you all these things, tell you you are under a tyrannical regime and your country has fallen, and they're like, you should subscribe to my uh, our subscription service. Why should I do that? I, my country's falling apart. Everything's falling into disarray. You're telling me there's a financial collapse on the horizon and you, should, you want me to subscribe to your app? That's your solution now? Yeah. Some of these guys are starting to get on my nerves pretty good. And that is something obviously coming out of me. So if all I'm telling you now, I had another story, but I could feel myself getting too heated, and I'm going to stop. We're going into this year. I can already feel it in some people. I can already see it in some people. In the political atmosphere, don't let them do it to you. Don't let them panic you. Don't The person who says to you, this election is the most important one, or the, the people out there saying, this election is the last one, stop listening to them. They are, they are destructive to you. This will not be the last election the United States has, unless the Lord wants to do that. There's no reason to believe it. If you're out there and you can think of some politician and you can say, if that person gets elected, it's the end of my country. It's not. That's kind of crazy. That's hysterical. That actually brings me back to like the COVID days where people said insane things, hysterically stupid things that were not in alignment with reality. Don't, don't let election 2024 be like COVID was for some people for you. You're, the end is not nigh, lest the Lord want it to be nigh. But if you're just looking around at, at your world, no, we're not. We don't live in the hellscape that seems that right and left want you to think you're in. You don't live in a hellscape. You live in a place where you have a chance, where there's a chance for some salt and light. You actually don't have it nearly as bad as almost everyone on the planet. Now, not, not every other... I mean, there's, you can measure against perfection. You can. Or, and you can... That's not healthy. You also don't want to just measure against bad things that happen in other places. You don't want to do that either. That's not healthy. Uh, but I'm just... I'm telling you, when people start getting your blood pressure up, Maybe just come back to this episode and listen to me yell about it. Don't let them. Let's be the people of peace, people of confidence. I've not been given a spirit of fear. I've been given some power, love, and I've been given a sound mind, and I want to maintain it through this whole year and this season. You know what? Let's go ahead and do this last thing. I was going to skip it. It's totally unrelated, um, but here's another thing I listened to this week. I listened to a science podcast called Radio Lab. It is... Used to be great. It's now run by a bunch of pagans, but uh, like just really vapid pagans. They try to do science stuff, and sometimes it's still interesting. The old stuff was real science, and it was great. Anyway, they interviewed a, a mathematician who is an atheist. He says so during the course of the interview, and he's doing some cool stuff. His biggest cont- contribution coming up to the mathematical world is seeing if we can actually divide by zero. I know that we, we learn early. I don't know, that's like fifth or sixth grade. You can't divide by zero. But as he's doing this mathematical work that I don't understand, I mean, this 
what I'm about to play for you, this clip, it's 19 minutes into the podcast. I understood like five minutes of it. It is some really intense math. But as he's working on this math that none of us can comprehend, he's coming to divine conclusions. His worldview on their being only a materialistic world is being ch- is being challenged because he's seeing the he's seeing the math behind how the world runs, and he he just knows it can't be uh, he knows it can't be by chance. Uh, the guys who did the genome project in the '90s said something similar. Uh, someone one of them said they were looking at the language of God, and there was actually secular people that came to some kind of faith during the genome project because they saw the brilliance of how God designed things. So I want you to hear this from this guy who is, again, an atheist, getting deep into some serious math and one of his conclusions. The first voice you will hear is from the host of the show. The show, again, is called Radiolab. Because the math itself leads to this undefined place where numbers work really differently. Where all of these numbers are one and the same. To him? That suggests that there is something else. And... I'm not saying that's God or whatever it is. It's just there's something else here. And I can't, by definition, I cannot on this side of the door articulate what is what that reality would look like. But I'm middle-aged. <laughs> now that Kareem is rolling into his mid-40s. I don't have children, a spouse. He finds himself unable to stop wondering about what that something else could really look like. I look at my life and I think, well, after 44 years, you're still not content with this. That must be a sign that either you're doomed to be discontented or that's a sign that like you're not going to find it here. I don't know why, but I've always loved that sort of audio from people. I played the Tom Brady audio like that. I've talked about the Madonna interview in, in the early 90s. When people have finally had enough introspection, they've thought deeply enough to recognize there is something more in this life. And I, I don't know, part of what I want is to, us to be ready to answer those. We live in such a distracted time that people don't think deeply enough and come to those conclusions. It's often times of crisis or epiphany. For him, it was epiphany doing the study in this math where they are willing to, to hear it out. So maybe that is my encouragement to you, is be open-eared, looking for opportunity. When people are asking questions about bigger things, when they're feeling the discontentment he was just talking about. And his situation, 44, childless, spouseless, there's a bunch of that in my age group. There's a bunch of folks who who don't even have those other things people used to find meaning in. So people could uh, deceive themselves into thinking they were living this fulfilled life, like a spiritual life, because of having a wife and kids or having a family and children and would miss out on the deeper spiritual things. There's a whole bunch of people in Western life who don't even have that to use as a crutch. I I I believe the scriptures, no man seeks God, but... The, not but, no man seeks God. Also, there is a, there is the, the, the law, uh, the image of God on us. That's well, not the law, the image of God on us all. 
and there is some sense, maybe you even think about the Ecclesiastes passages, that, we, that the heart just knows this isn't going to last. And, uh, I wanted you to hear that. That's the kind of guy I'd love to talk to, and I want to have ears for it. Final thing I want to say. I think I said earlier the people that use all the um, tyranny regime, the, your country's fallen language, I said don't listen to them. I didn't mean that exactly. I meant when they talk about political things, that's that's what's not. That's what you shouldn't. I, I don't think they're wise, and they're not helpful in talking about those things. All right. Uh, I never mentioned after the first of the episode, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, threads. You can look for me, Corey Truax. If you want to email, that's also good. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Uh, and if you have comments on anything I've said, I would love for you to uh, to reach out and uh, we can interact interact that way. And if you have things that we should cover on the show, stories, videos, clips that you hear that you think are worth other people hearing, just send them my way. Again, it's Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. If the Lord allows, I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.